In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called Baden. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And... Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy 
which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, just as it was told unto them. It's never been the story of Christmas alone, enchanting as it is, that makes people want to sing. The multitude of these uh, lovely carols, they were written by people who understood what the story means. In our last reading now, we're going to listen to Mary, just a humble peasant girl from Galilee, but singing her song of joy about what Christmas is really all about. And she, of all people, ought to have a good grasp of it. Listen to the words of her song, which has come to be known as the Magnificat, from the first words, uh, magnify in Latin. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. 
Well, Luke's gospel that we've heard uh, several readings from this evening was written uh, by a first century physician. It's a carefully ordered, well-researched work. It's one of the best attested pieces of writing actually in history. And in fact, we've got copies available at the back in our bookstall. If you've never read through it, let me encourage you uh, to take one. We'd be delighted to give you one if you promise to read it. One of the features of uh, Luke is the songs that he records in his first couple of chapters, which are really the very first songs of Christmas at all. Uh, Christmas songs abound now, of course. Uh, When I was young, the great excitement about Christmas was which was going to be uh, the Christmas number one. Those days, long ago, you still bought singles, little black things called 45. Some of you will remember, but most of you won't. My first single, actually, was the Christmas number one of 1977. Anyone remember? Mull of Kintyre. <laughs> Didn't have much to do with Christmas, but it was a classic nonetheless. The next year, actually, 1978, was more about Christmas. Mary's Boy Child by Boney M. I could still sing it to you, but I'll spare you. <laughs> we all love music at Christmas, don't we? That's why we're here, I'm sure, tonight. One of the reasons, anyway, singing. But I wonder if we reason why, wonder if we wonder why uh, the reason is that we love Christmas. And the reason really is because in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ coming into our world, that is rightly the focus of all the joy of history, all the joy of eternity in both earth and in heaven. And that's what Mary's song, Magnificat, uh, expresses. Her whole soul, she says, magnifies the Lord. Because she understands the massive significance of what the angel had told her about the miraculous birth that was to come of her son, who would be called God the Savior. That he had come at last, as promised, in human flesh. And he would be the Son of God, come to reign with a kingdom without end forever and ever. And the angel, remember, had also told her about another extraordinary birth that was about to happen of of John the Baptist to her elderly aunt called Elizabeth. And he was going to be the prophet who would go before the Messiah and proclaim his coming to the people. So when Mary um, goes off to visit uh, Elizabeth, both of these women end up singing songs of praise to God. They're full of joy in this shared experience that they're going to have of coming motherhood in in such an extraordinary way. And yet, I wonder if you notice when I read the words of Mary's song, it's not actually much about her motherhood. Of course, she does speak about her part in what's going to happen, but the main focus of her song is actually on a much, much bigger story. It's not just a story for her, but it's for the whole wide world. And it's a song all about what God is doing for the whole world through this birth of the one who will be called the Son of God. Mary's song actually echoes another song, an older song from the Bible, from the Old Testament, the song of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel. That was hundreds of years before. And she also sang a song about a coming child that God had granted her. And it was very, very precious to her because she'd long been barren very painfully. But also in her song, she too was singing not just about the son that God had given her, but about someone far greater because her son Samuel was going to be the prophet who ushered in the whole era of David, the great king of Israel. 
And Mary's song actually echoes Hannah's in many ways, but in a far greater way and with a far greater significance for the whole world. And that's why Mary isn't really singing about her pregnancy and coming parenthood, wonderful as that is. And these things, of course, should be celebrated. But no, instead, she sings about the vast significance of a birth that will be unlike any other in history. And she understood that this birth brings an extraordinary message to the whole world for all time. That God is a God who saves his people. And that Jesus now proclaims that salvation to the whole wide world. And Mary's, Mary's song explains how it is that Jesus is God's ultimate message of salvation to the world and how it's going to be made known. Let me try and make, make clear for you what Mary's message is. We'll start at the end of her song and work backwards because the first thing that we need to grasp really is that in Jesus Christ's coming into the world, all history is being explained by God himself. History being explained by God. Mary's saying that in Jesus there is meaning that banishes all the mystery about the world as we know it and all the history of the world. Very end of her song, Mary looks back over the whole of past history and she sees that in the coming of Jesus, God has kept all of his promises to human beings right from the very beginning of time. He's remembered his promises of mercy. They go right the way back to Abraham, the very, very start of Israel's history as God's people. Jesus Christ is at last the explanation that history has waited for. Our, world, our world's history, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? Even today, with its shifts in geopolitics, with changing powers, all that we've witnessed of progress throughout history and so on. And yet in some ways, the world changes very, very little. The Middle East is, is just as troubled a place today as in the early years of the first century. And for a peasant girl living in, in Nazareth, as Mary did, on the west bank of the River Jordan, well, it was then occupied territory as well, although back then it was Israel that was occupied by the hated Romans. And the Israelite people then were very oppressed. And moreover, they lived with, with a terrible mystery. Because God seemed so absent from them. Or at best, he was very distant from them. And Israelites then also had many enemies. That is not a new thing either. And our history in many ways was, was agonizing. Involving subjugation, involving exile outside, far away from the land of promise, which was a terrible curse for those who were called to be a people in that land of promise. Then they'd later on returned to the land with great expectations from the prophets of a wonderful bright future, and yet centuries and centuries had passed, and still nothing seemed to materialize. It was just another year after year after year of more of the same. And I guess that's, in lots of ways, a very familiar thing to people today, isn't it? People live and die. And at best, life's full of mystery, often 
often apparent meaninglessness. Just a treadmill that we're stuck on all the way to dusty death. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps on this petty pace from day to day as Macbeth famously vocalized it. But suddenly, into that world, everything changed for Mary. And she grasped that in this birth to come, somehow all history was, was being explained by God. All the, the heartfelt longing of the past, all the yearning. Because now at last, in Jesus, God was fulfilling his promise. His promise to Abraham that... That through him and through his seed, all the nations of the world would at last know ultimate blessing. That is an extraordinary claim. Maybe even it's a shocking claim to some of you in our world today, in our multicultural, pluralist world. Perhaps even it's an offensive claim to some. That in Jesus Christ of Nazareth alone, all history is explained, finds its ultimate meaning and its ultimate purpose. Sounds like the height of arrogance. But that's Mary's claim. That's what she's saying in her song. That's what's causing her great rejoicing. All the prophecies that we've heard read this evening, spanning centuries, they're coming to be in this birth. The hopes and fears of all the years really are being met in that birth to come in Bethlehem. This is what all history has always been about. It explains the, the past history of Mary's people, the Jews, and it explains the whole of human history for all the rest of us. That's the claim of the Christian message. Nothing less than that. Does that sound unbelievable to you? Well, maybe it does, but let me ask you this. Isn't it true isn't it true that deep in our hearts, whatever we, whatever we think our beliefs may be, deep in our hearts, we know that there must be more to this world. There must be more to our lives. There must be more to our loves than just what seems to be seen on the surface of history. And what we experience of the relentless cycle of ashes to ashes and dust to dust, there must be more to the, than that. Of course, we don't allow ourselves to stray into thinking about these things too often. We don't think much beyond the immediate at all, really. But it's unnerving when we do. So we let the noise of activity, of entertainment, and of other things fill our minds most of the time. But when we're honest, when we allow ourselves to ponder more deeply the real nature of life, we know that there is something within us. C.S. Lewis, the writer, called it an inconsolable longing, an unappeasable want deep in our spirits for something more, for something better, for something greater than just the life that we see on the surface. We hanker for something that, that we feel must be possible Somewhere, somehow. Because we can imagine it, can't we, in our minds. And yet it's something we don't see. At least not yet. Isn't that right? Well, that brings us, you see, to the second thing in Mary's song. Because she tells us not only is all history explained 
by that birth. But she says in Jesus, eternity is being proclaimed by God to the world. Proclaiming it as a message of hope that banishes despair. That there is a future. That there is that future that we all long for. We do instinctively long for a better world, don't we? We long for a world that's as different to the world as we know it. Not, not losing everything that's beautiful and lovely and wonderful in the world. We, we want a world with that, but without the injustice, without the horrors, without the, the miseries, the perplexities that so shroud our world. Why do we long like that? If everything's just explained by chance, by meaningless banging together of atoms, by our selfish DNA just doing its thing. Why do we long for that? Why do we even ask the question, why, about things that happen? Well, again, I think C.S. Lewis gives us the real answer. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And that's true. According to the Bible, we were made for a different world, for an eternal world. And that world did exist once in this world for a very brief moment. A bit like when you, when you switch on a light bulb and immediately the bulb blows and suddenly you're plunged back into darkness again. That actually is the story of our human world. Human rebellion against God plunged us very quickly back into darkness. And now this is the only world that we know and experience. But you see, hints, memories of a world that once was, they remain deep within us, in our hearts. Because that is the world that we were made for. And in Jesus Christ, you see, God proclaims the certainty that that world shall exist again forever and ever. And in his very coming to this world, it's begun. It's assured. A world of total transformation. Look at verses 51 to 53 on the screens there. They speak, don't they, of a transformed world. A world that's turned upside down, where might and power is brought down, when the, the hungry and the humble are lifted up and exalted. And do you notice in those words the tense? It's past tense, isn't it? Because it is so certain that God is proclaiming it as though it had been already accomplished. And it has been accomplished in the coming of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, eternity is proclaimed to the world by God, a certain future as it ought to be, as we long for it to be, filled with true justice, justice for the arrogant and for the proud and for the powerful exploiter and justice for the humble and for the hungry and for the lowly. And that is not just some naive utopian hope. That is not... A fantasy world of the kind of idea that, oh, if only we can change our politicians, the world will be a better place. Do you have any hope for that? It's not a fantasy of economic theories that will suddenly change everything by having magic money trees and things like that. 
It's not a faint hope of changing the world through wars, through military alliances, or through new treaties on climate change or pandemics or anything else like that at all. There's no treaty. There is no government. There is no pharmaceutical that can tame the human heart. Isn't that so? But out of the human heart, said Jesus, comes all manner of evil. And that is what really spoils our world. That's what makes the problems of our world intractable, unsolvable by mankind. Or indeed by artificial intelligence, which will simply make quicker and more efficient all these things that emanate out of the heart of man. Now what Mary gives voice to is something totally different. It is a transformation on an absolutely cosmic scale. That last word in her song, forever. Forever. Because you see, in the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternity is invading time and history. It's taking it over forever. Forever. And that is the real Christmas message. Nothing less than that. The birth of Jesus Christ is the beginning of a new world, of that new world. And that's why when you read through the life of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, like Luke or any of the other ones, you see glimpses of that new world. In his presence, the power of the world to come, you see, could not be hidden. It kept breaking into this world. And so you see water turned into wine. You see lame men leaping about with joy. You see deaf people suddenly hearing. You see the blind seeing. Even the dead raised to life. And Luke's gospel, you see, in showing us these things, it's like a, it's like a film trailer. Just gives a taster of that whole main story that's still to come. But it gives us enough to know, I need to see that story. I need to see it. See, friends, the Christmas message is not about human goodwill being somehow harnessed to make this world a better place, a little more loving, a little more peaceful, a little more hopeful. No, no, no. The Christmas message proclaims the birth of a whole new world, a new universe altogether. The eternal world is proclaimed as real and as certain and as beyond all doubt. The world where everything Everything is transformed into that world of our inconsolable longing. It's no accident, I think, is it, that that kind of longing, that ache in our hearts so often is something that wells up within us at Christmas time. Because we know, don't we, that the great sorrow... For many, at Christmas time will be the empty place at the table, won't it? It'll be the painful memories, lovely memories of Christmas past, but tinged with that pain of a dear loved one who'll no longer be celebrating with us on this earth. Beautiful memories, things to, things to treasure, things to bring joy, but there will be an inescapable sorrow to it, won't there, for some of us? Because death defeats us always, always in this world. 
But Christmas proclaims, you see, a future, eternity of a world without injustice and sorrow and pain anymore. And above all, a world without death. Christmas proclaims the beginning of what in C.S. Lewis's novels about Narnia, Aslan declares to be death working backwards. In Jesus Christ, God proclaims to our world, eternity is real, it's coming. Death is working backwards. And he does so with a shout of great joy. In Jesus, there's meaning for all history. History is explained. And in Jesus, there's hope for the future. Eternity is proclaimed to us. But finally, and just as importantly, Mary also tells us that in Jesus, humanity is reclaimed by God. The message for Jesus isn't just about the past. It isn't just about the future. It's about the present. And it's not just about the world and about history and about the cosmos. It's a message that's deeply personal for human beings, each one of us. Right at the very start of her song, Mary is absolutely clear that there's joy. There's real joy right now for her. Joy that banishes fear forever and ever. Because our personal world is transformed by the coming of Jesus Christ. He who is mighty has done great things for me, she says. For me. You see, when, when like Mary, you see in Jesus the Savior who can forgive sin, who can reverse the tragedy of the human heart, reverse the frailty of the human body one day. That is to find joy. That's to find joy unspeakable right now. And it's to know peace that is indescribable even now in this dark world. That's why the Christmas songs are so full of rejoicing. Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory o'er the grave. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight forever. That's why Christians rejoice to sing with Mary in her song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Because he's our Savior too. Because of Christmas. He's looked on the humble estate of his servants. And he who is mighty has done great things for me. That's why I'm up here tonight speaking to you. Because he who is mighty has done great things for me. That's why so many of us come here to this building week by week. That's why someone's invited you here tonight probably. Because we want you to know that joy as well. We want you to share it. Mary found that joy personally. Yes, she, she grasped what it all meant. She grasped the meaning of history. She grasped the, the hope of eternity. But more than that, she entered into that story personally, herself. This humble peasant girl from Nazareth was taken up into the great story of God. She became part of that story. What she said is true. All generations after will call her blessed. Not because of anything special in her, but because of what God did through her in bringing Jesus, the Savior, into our world. God did do great things for her, but he did so so that he might do great things also for you and for me.
Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah and all the others that we, we know so well in these stories, the shepherds, the wise men, all the disciples, they all entered into that story. The greatest story of all, the eternal story. The story that invaded our world, invaded time in the coming of Jesus and came to answer every inconsolable longing of our human hearts. And that, friends, is the story that goes on forever. It's a story where every chapter is better than the one before. And they all entered into that story. And the real message of Christmas, why it matters, is that you also can enter into that story. Luke's so careful to emphasize that the wonder of Christmas isn't just for humanity in general, that they're reclaimed by God, but in people in particular, real people, individual people who have names, who have personal stories, people just like, like you and me. Don't miss those wonderful words Mary utters there in verse 50. His mercy, she says, is for those, and she means all those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is for everyone. Man and woman, boy and girl, poor and rich, old and young, Asian, African, American, European, wherever. Everyone, she says, who will fear him. That just means to humbly trust the message that Mary has sung to us. That's where Mary's joy came from herself. She believed. When the angel brought her the gospel message of Christmas, what did she say? She said, let it be to me according to your word. That's faith. Faith is simply saying yes to the Christmas message of God, the message of Jesus come to be Savior. Let it be so for me. The message that explains history, that proclaims eternity to you. The message in which God says to all of us, says to you, I have come to reclaim you for that world that you've yearned for but you've never seen the message of christmas the whole of it is one great song actually it's a song god is singing to his world and he's singing to every one of us here tonight let it be for you also through jesus my son mary responded she sang back to god yes let it be so for me and she found that joy that was immediate and also eternal. So will you let it be for you also this Christmas? Why would anyone want to not join that song of everlasting joy? Join the joy. Join the joy this very Christmas. Amen. Let's pray. O oh, come, all you faithful, come joyful and come triumphant, come to Bethlehem and behold him, born the king of angels. O oh, come, let us adore him, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Gracious God, grant that this would indeed be the response of all of our hearts this Christmas. Amen.